Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, November 10th, 2022. I missed you very much last week and I am thrilled uh, to be with you tonight. And I look forward to sharing four pieces on the Parsha with you tonight. And I want to thank every single one of you for setting aside the time and making the commitment to be here together so we can study together. I thank you very much. The Torah has highs and lows, triumphs and defeats, successes and failures. But notice how the Torah seems front-loaded with failure. In Bereshis, the first parsha, the beginning of the Torah, we have the narrative of Adam and Chadava, Adam and Eve, who make the terrible mistake of eating from the tree and being exiled from the Garden of Eden. We have the first murder, Cain and Hevel. Cain murders his brother Hevel. And by the end of the parsha, God himself admits to failure. The Torah says, Vayinachem Hashem ki asa esa adam ba'aretz. God, I mean, it's hard even to say the words, regretted that he had created man in the world. Vayis save el libo. It's hard to know how to even translate those words. Literally, they mean that God was depressed in his heart. Certainly very, very hard to understand, but certainly not a success. In the next Parsha, the Parsha of Noah, we have the spectacular failure of all of mankind. And God destroys the entire world except for Noah and his family. And then even when Noah and his family survive and, and, and exit the ark, Noah is debased in front of his sons after the flood, and then at the end of the Parsha, the narrative of the Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel, and whatever it was that was going on there, somehow it was clearly a failure. And even in last week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, yes, yes, we definitely have the magnificent introduction of Avraham and Sarah, our patriarch and matriarch. But then, as soon as they get to Israel, they leave and they go to Egypt. And when they get there, they don't tell the truth. And then there's the narrative of how they treat Hagar. Why does the Torah begin with so much failure. There will be both failure and success. But why so much failure at the very beginning? I have a cousin I love and admire. I have many cousins that I love and admire. But this cousin is named Aaron Katz. And he is a lawyer in New York. This past weekend, we had the sublime privilege to be with Aaron and his family 
for the marriage of his older son. And we were able to spend Shabbos together and the Ofrof together and to see family. The wedding was beautiful. Every moment of this wedding, of this whole weekend, was unforgettable. So a few years ago, my cousin Aaron started a business, a new kind of business that's very successful. And he was interviewed by a prestigious legal publication, Law Dragon Press. Now, part of his business is that he solicits investors to a creative type of investment which his firm manages. And he was asked in this interview, what are investors looking for in his company, in his management, in order to decide to invest large sums of money under his direction? What makes a company more appealing to a potential investor to be able to decide to take these large sums of money and to place it under his management. So listen, please, to his answer. He said, Candidly, the best education you get is from the inevitable mistakes you make along the way. In fact, some of our most sophisticated and large-stake investors have conveyed that they prefer managers who have an appropriate amount of scar tissue. Managers looking to invest in a company want to know if this company has scar tissue, where they have made mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Those are the companies to trust with your largest investment. So here's the truth. It is wonderful to succeed. And for sure, you can learn from your successes. But you can learn so much more from your failures from your scar tissue. That is where real growth comes from. That is where real strength comes from. And if you have some scar tissue, know that it may make you more appealing. It may make you a better person in the eyes of other people. Now, here's what I mean. Leave aside for a moment how you see yourself going through, God forbid, a crisis or a tragedy. So leave aside, and, and I don't mean to minimize what a person experiences, God forbid, if something negative happens. But if you can just try to place what you were experiencing and feeling to the side just for a moment. Because especially in our pain, we can be too close to see ourselves objectively. And here's the truth. Others 
may see you under the circumstance as much improved, more empathetic, more kind, more wise, more beautiful. It's not that that's what you want, of course, but it still may be true. I've shared this story with some of you before. I heard it from Rabbi Melech Biederman. <clears throat> there was a very wealthy man, but he was not so smart. He had more money than brains. He was once watching as soldiers were training in a field, and he saw them jumping over deep ditches and climbing steep hills and crawling under fences, and they were working so hard, exerting so much effort, and he felt bad for them. They were struggling and working so hard. So he went over to the commander, and he said to the commander, I am a very wealthy man, and I will give you a large sum of money to hire people to fill in the ditches, to level the hills, and to remove the fences so that these soldiers don't have to work so hard. I'll give you the money for it. And the commander said to him, If you give me a large sum of money, I will use it to dig deeper ditches and higher hills, and more obstacles, because the entire purpose of training is to learn how to overcome the obstacles. If it was smooth and easy, it would serve no purpose. That is the pattern that God teaches us at the beginning of the Torah. That's why the Torah begins in that way, because the Torah is not about telling a winning story. The word Torah means teaching, learning, improving. There are triumphs in the Torah, magnificent triumphs, and we will learn much from them, but the real teaching comes from scar tissue. And that's where the Torah begins. Because that is the pattern of our history and that is the pattern of our lives. <clears throat> There's a famous phrase, classic phrase, Maise avos simon lebanin. The actions of the patriarchs and the matriarchs are signs for the children, for us. In other words, we emulate their best behavior. For example, the beginning of this week's Torah portion, Vayera, God appears to Avram, but in the middle of that appearance, Avraham sees 
three strangers walking by in the desert. And he invites them into his home. Yukach nama'at mayim. Take for yourselves a little water, and I'll give you a little bit of bread to eat, and you'll be able to rest and enjoy my hospitality. And then the Torah tell us, tells us, Vayimaher Avraham Ola. Avraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Mahari, hurry up and make three large loaves of bread and go prepare a delicious meal. And he served it to them. And he stood over them, serving them and waiting on them. And notice just by the way, how much more he provides than what he promises. Come in, I'll give you a little bread and water. And he provides this magnificent feast for them. And for strangers. Maisa avos simon labanim. So the actions of our patriarchs and our matriarchs are signs for us. We should be hospitable like Avraham and Sarah. That's true. But the phrase means something much deeper. Because our patriarchs and matriarchs acted. And in their actions, they created for us the values underlying their actions. And we don't just imitate their actions, we inherit their values. They become our values and the basis for our actions because they were formulated by and bequeathed to us by our patriarchs and our matriarchs. And we learn the book of Genesis, Beratius, to pinpoint these strengths, these values, and these characteristics that we have, simon labanim, it's a sign for the children, for us, because of the maise avos, the actions of the patriarchs and the matriarchs that created and bequeathed to us these values. So I want to share with you one of these values, one example of a value that we receive from Avraham and Sarah that we can then use to manifest in myriad different ways. <clears throat> and let me begin with a story told by Sivan Rahav Meir. She tells the story that several years ago she was attending a parent-teacher meeting evening in the school of her children. And she sat together with other mothers of her children's class. And the teacher began to explain her plans for the year and the routines and what was going to happen. <coughs> and Sivan says that she had a very, very busy day that day. And the teacher was speaking in a very pleasant, melodious voice. And there were beautiful pictures done by the children on the walls. And she found that she was starting to fall asleep. And she had to fight to keep her eyes open. It was late at night. And then suddenly she sees on her phone a message from the chat 
of the mother's group of this class. One of the mothers sent a message to the group to say, oh no, I'm not able to come to this meeting tonight. Could somebody please take notes to summarize the information so that I'll be able to have it? And Sivan immediately in an instant was fully awake. And she responded by text, I'll do it. I'll take the notes for you. And she says from that moment, everything changed. She was wide awake. And she started to write down the notes of the classroom regulations and what you're allowed to bring for the morning snack and how you get to and from school and how you celebrate the birthdays in the class, all the details that you need for the class. And she was writing it all down. What happened? She had received an assignment. And it was meaningful to her. She was going to help another mother. She had a mission. When you have a mission, when you have a purpose, even if it's small, you become energized. Because the greatest gift is the opportunity to do something for someone else, someone who needs your help. That's a mission. You become important in being of service to another human being. And that is exactly what Avraham and Sarah bequeath to us in this week's Torah portion. The value of living a life feeling that you have a mission. That is what Avraham and Sarah had. We read on a simple level the narratives of what Avraham and Sarah did, and we emulate their actions. We try to emulate their actions, their hospitality, for example. But on a much deeper level, we don't just want to emulate their actions. We want to act based on their values. And that means to have a sense of verve and enthusiasm in how we show our hospitality. It's not just the actions they did, but with the excitement, with the abundance that they treated their guests. Avraham and Sarah teach us to live a life of mission, of serving God, and of serving others as a vehicle for serving God. Living with a sense of mission means that even the most mundane task pouring water for a stranger, carrying a chair, smiling, is momentous and should be done with enthusiasm and alacrity and awareness of its significance. It makes living completely different. It makes how I approach every single task completely different because it's not just a mundane task. It's part of a mission. And I look at it differently, and I feel about it differently, and I do it differently. That's what Maise Avosimen Lambana means. And that's what we must learn from the book of Boratius in particular and manifest in myriad ways every day. And living a life of mission also affects how we evaluate the success of our effort and the accomplishment 
of our actions. In this week's Torah portion, we have a remarkable verse. Vayashkem Avraham Baboker, and Avraham awoke early in the morning. Our sages tell us to pray. Our sages tell us that with these words, Avraham established Tfilah Shachras, the morning daily prayer. The morning prayer Shachris that we pray every day is a prayer of compassion, a prayer of optimism. It's morning. The nighttime is over. The day is filled with potential. In the morning prayer, we say the words, Ahava Rabba Ahavtanu, God, you love us with abundant love. We feel God's love in the morning. We have confidence in our ability to succeed. As opposed to the nighttime prayer, Mariv, that we pray at night, which was established by Yaakov, Jacob, our forefather, established at night when we are vulnerable, when we are afraid, when we have to confront God's apparent absence. When we say, Ahavas Olam, we have faith in God's love for us, even if we don't see it. It's a prayer asking for mercy, recognizing our limits, so different in mood from the morning prayer that Avraham established. But here's what's fascinating. <coughs> What's fascinating is that Avraham established that prayer of confidence and optimism immediately after an unsuccessful prayer. Avraham stood in the place that he had stood the day before, when he was bargaining with God to try to save the people of Sodom, when God says he is going to destroy the people of this area, and now it's one day later, and Avraham stands in that same place and he looks out over the valley. Vayar vehine Allah kitor ha'aretz kikitor ha'kivshon. He sees the destruction. He sees the smoke rising from that destroyed city like the smoke coming out of a furnace. He has failed. We cannot even imagine what Abraham must have felt like on that morning after the day before trying to intercede, bargaining with God, maybe there are 50 righteous people, 40, 30, maybe there are 10 righteous people and you'll save the city because of those righteous people. And now the day later he stands there and he sees that he failed. The cities are destroyed. 
How is it possible that at that moment when he sees the failure of yesterday's prayer, that he is able to today establish a prayer of shachris, of optimism, of mercy and compassion? How is he able to establish such a prayer after failing so miserably the day before? Here's the truth about prayer. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer can lead to getting what you want. It can. But that is secondary. Prayer is primarily about a relationship with God. It's about the encounter with God. <clears throat> and in the encounter that Avram had with God the day before concerning Sodom, God listened to Avraham. Avraham challenges God. Will the judge of the entire earth act unjustly, Avraham says to God, and God responds to Avraham. God takes Avraham's challenge seriously. And there is a relationship, there is an interchange. Ultimately, the answer was no. Sodom will not be saved. But in terms of having a relationship, which is what prayer is about, it was a revolutionary success. In other words, while on the surface that narrative between God and Abraham concerning Sodom is some kind of negotiation, some kind of discussion, some kind of bargaining, it wasn't really a prayer. It was a, a give-and-take discussion. What Abraham teaches us is that that is prayer. That's what prayer is supposed to do. And Avram succeeded in that prayer. And it was from that success that Avraham the next day established a daily morning prayer filled with confidence and optimism that we can create this relationship with God. Not that we're necessarily going to get what we ask for, but we can have the relationship, the interaction with God. I think that there are two main problems that we have with prayer today. And one of them is based on the other. <clears throat> the first problem that some of us have is that we have unrealistic expectations of getting what we ask for if we pray. And if that is our expectation, it will lead us, when we don't get what we ask for, to view prayer as futile. We pray for something. It's serious. We pray with sincerity, with emotion. What we're asking for doesn't happen. What's the use? 
There's no reason for it. Now that's a shame because it indicates a misunderstanding on our part of what prayer is about. And this is what Avraham is teaching us. It's not about getting what you want. It's about the interaction, the relationship with God. And we need to be reminded of this because if we have the wrong idea, we will have the wrong expectations and we won't recognize what is success in prayer. But the second problem is even deeper. And that is that all too often we don't sense the benefit of a relationship with God. We're not looking for a relationship with God. And we don't feel that we're missing anything by not having that relationship. Well, if you're not looking for the relationship, if you don't miss it, and that's all that prayer is going to provide, then what's the use of prayer? And the truth is, this problem is essentially a secular outlook on life. Even if we are, in quotation marks, observant, or, again in quotation marks, Shomer Shabbos, or religious, or whatever term you want to use. But it's a secular outlook in the sense that we're not looking for, missing, reaching for a relationship with God, an intimacy with God. And that's a shame. And we need to work to change this because here's the truth. The truth is, it would change our lives it would give us a sense of never feeling alone. I've shared this with some of you before. Famous verse in Tehillim and Psalms that we say at the very end of our benching, the Birkas Amazon, the grace after meals, we quote the verse, Nar ha'isi veganza kanti, I was young and now I'm old. And I never saw a righteous person who was searching for bread, who was poor, who didn't have enough to eat. What do you mean? You never saw a righteous person who was poor? So many righteous people don't seem to be living the lives that they would deserve based on their actions, and they suffer with terrible poverty. What do you mean you never saw a righteous person who was poor? But again, let's pay attention to the words. David Amelech in Tehillim is not saying, I never saw a righteous person who was poor. Yes, Nebuch, there are righteous people who are poor. Lo ra'isi tzadik ne'ezov. I never saw a righteous person who, even though they were poor, felt abandoned. Nezav means abandoned by God. I never saw a righteous person who felt that they had been abandoned by God in their poverty. Because the essence of righteousness is to feel I'm never abandoned by God. I have a relationship. Okay, in this area, the answer I keep getting from God is no. No, you cannot have enough food to eat. I don't know why I'm getting that answer, but there's still a relationship. I don't feel abandoned. 
I don't like the answer, but I'm not abandoned. And it's also a shame because God wants this relationship with us. Too many of us are not in a reciprocal relationship with God, our beloved. We don't relate to God the way that God wants to relate to us. There's a remarkable story from one of the great rabbis, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik, the Briskarov. He was once in his study, studying Torah. And one of his grandchildren ran into his study and the grandchild was crying. And Reb Chaim asked the child, what's wrong? And the child said, well, we were playing a game of hide-and-seek and I went to hide, but no one came to look for me. And his grandfather, the rabbi, started to cry. And the little boy said, Grandfather, why are you crying? And Rav Chaim said to him, because that's exactly what God experiences. God is hidden for us, but God is hoping that we will come searching for him. And when we do not come searching for God, God is crying. Where are you? Why don't you care about this relationship that I want to have with you? God is hidden now. That's true. But the mitzvah of prayer, especially as established by Avraham, especially within the context of that specific prayer, teaches us that God wants us to seek and to respond and to engage. Whatever the answer will be, God wants that relationship. Allow me to share with you one last piece. There are two themes that weave through the disparate narratives of this week's Torah portion by Yera, both of which we have discussed tonight. Kindness as a cardinal value, number one, and number two, prayer as a relationship with God. God visits Avram when he is in pain at the beginning of the Parsha, Avram and Sarah show exemplary hospitality and kindness to strangers passing their tent. Avraham prays to save the people of Sodom from destruction and then establishes for us for all time the prayer of Shachris every morning. And these two themes converge when Avraham prays for the recovery of Avimelech. The Torah tells us, late in the Torah portion, that Avram and Sarah were living in a place called Gerar, a part of Israel. And Avimelech was the king of Gerar, of this area. And something happened that caused Avimelech to become sick. 
And God appeared to Avimelech in a dream and said to him, You must go to Avraham, Vayispaler ba'adcha, and if he will pray for you, v'chiyeh, then you will live, otherwise you won't. And so Avimelech pleads with Avraham to pray for him. Vayispaler Avraham el ho'elokim, and Avraham prays to God on behalf of Avimelech, vayirpa elokim es Avimelech. And God heals Avimelech. <clears throat> this is the origin of the widespread Jewish practice to go to a tzaddik, a righteous person, to ask them for a blessing, to pray for us when we are in trouble. So in other words, we see in our parsha the merging of spiritual and mundane. Kindness and hospitality, which is mundane, is also a way to serve God. And prayer, which is spiritual, is also a way to help others. So that kindness and prayer, mundane and spiritual, are intrinsically woven together. But each of them, crucially, also has its limits. So allow me to share with you this story that I heard from Nisanel Yoel Safran. There was a young man who went to visit a great rabbi who was known for his exceptional piety and his unconditional love, and he would be willing, when asked, to give a blessing and to pray to someone who came to him to request it. And of course, this great rabbi was in tremendous demand. So many people wanted to see him, to ask for blessings, to ask for his prayers. And it took a long time to get this appointment to meet with this great rabbi. And while they were meeting, there was a long line of people waiting to come in after. And this young man sitting before this great rabbi was feeling very good about the blessings he had received. He had asked for the blessing of good health. He had asked for the blessing of children. He had asked for the blessing of being able to have an ample livelihood. And he had received these blessings generously from this holy rabbi. But then he said to the rabbi, I have one more request. There is one more blessing that I need. Please bless me with shalom bias with a happy marriage with my wife. And the young man waited for a moment, expecting to hear the blessing as had come from all of his other requests. But the rabbi was silent. And the young man didn't understand, did I do something wrong? I know that I've asked you for a lot, but please, I'm asking just for one more blessing. 
just one final prayer for good marriage. And the rabbi looked at him and he said, I can't. The young man was shocked and he said, but I need this blessing desperately. Things are not going well at home between my wife and myself. They're not good at all. Why won't you bless me? Why won't you pray for my marriage? Am I so bad that I don't deserve a prayer, a blessing? And the rabbi said, I didn't say I won't bless you. I can't bless you. You can't bless me? Why not? And the rabbi explained because shalom bias, harmony between husband and wife, it's a choice that you have to make. There are many things in life that are part of a person's destiny. They're external to a person's free choice. And they may be influenced by external factors like a blessing. Whether a person is healthy or sick, where a person is strong or weak, whether a person has wealth or lives in poverty, a blessing could help in those areas of life. But there are other realms of life which result from our free choice, our actions, our words. If you choose to live in peace with your wife, if you treat her in a way that is worthy, with respect and honor, you will have shalom bias. You will have a strong marriage. And if not, all the blessings in the world, mine or otherwise, can't help you. A happy marriage comes from our actions and our words, comes from our choices, doesn't come from a blessing. Prayer is vitally important to us. We need to appreciate its power. We need to appreciate its potential to connect us with God and to help others. But we must also recognize its limits. The areas of life where it's not up to God. It's not even up to prayer. It's up to us. My friends, I want to wish you a beautiful evening and a fantastic Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.